number of years ago, I had an opportunity to be on the platform with Billy Graham at one of the crusades, and Johnny Cash was scheduled to sing. And I was sitting pretty close behind where Johnny was going to stand, and Johnny got up at the appropriate time, and he walked up, and the music started, and he opened his mouth, and not much came out. And he stopped, and he turned back toward all of us, and he had the expression on his face that I probably had a few minutes ago. As much as he wanted to sing, nothing came forth. And finally, Johnny was able to clear his air passage, and he was able to sing, and it was absolutely beautiful. But I remember the look in his eyes when he realized at that moment he couldn't get the air out. God's good to us, isn't he? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for Billy Graham. I thank you for one of many men that you have raised up over the generations to represent you in a worldwide way that others do in a local way. I thank you for the work you did in the life of Johnny Cash to bring him to faith. And what a way for him to end his life, for him to be singing praises to you. Dear God, you've done that for us, those of us who know you. You've done a work in our life that we could not and would not have done for ourselves, and you brought us to faith, and we're here today to give thanks to you in the name of Jesus. There really is something about that name. Jesus, our Savior. Warm our hearts, I pray. Refresh and renew our minds. Help us, dear God, to be a people who walk with you and talk with you and are known by your name and not so much by our own. Help us, dear God, to acknowledge all of the grace and all of the mercy and all of the provision that has come from your hand as an act of love. Help us to recount in our own minds how you have called us from utter spiritual darkness into the light of the Lord Jesus Christ, a light that shall illuminate for us both here and forevermore what you have done for us through your Son, Jesus, is an absolute miracle. And Lord, we're here to say thank you. Sometimes we forget, Father. Sometimes we forget to thank you, and sometimes we forget to respond to the grace and the mercy in an appropriate way. Sometimes we try to wrestle control of our life away from you, and Lord, inevitably we make a mess out of that struggle. I know, dear God, as so many of us know, that when we leave this place today, there are some who are going to return to a lifestyle that is not becoming of a follower of Jesus. We all know, Lord, that there are some habits and some practices in our life which we need to be rid of. 
things we just need to stop doing. We also know, Lord, there's some things we need to start doing that we haven't done. That we need to love and care for other people. That we need to not think so much of ourselves, but to think more of others. I ask you, Lord, as your spirit brings us under conviction to forgive us and to help us know in our heart of hearts that we are forgiven through the shed blood of Jesus Christ and that you're going to forget about those things that we've done and that you've prepared a place eternally for us and you now want us to walk in that light. I pray, Lord, you'd continue to help us. And if we backslide some, I pray by grace, the power of your Holy Spirit would so convict us that we'd not want to go that direction anymore. Father, if there's ever been a time in the history of our country that we as Christians are needed by others, it's right now. The direction our country is taking, which means the majority of people, is not pleasing to you, Lord, and it's not in keeping with Scripture. You know what's best for us individually and corporately, and when we don't do what you want us to do, things don't work out. I ask you, Father, as an act of grace, to put a passion in the heart of your children all across this country, that we might set a loving example to others, and that we might be willing to share the good news with other people. I pray, dear God, for a revival that starts with people like us. And I pray that it would catch fire and burn its way from coast to coast and from border to the Gulf of Mexico. And I pray that you would get the honor and that you would get the glory. Father, I pray for our homes. I ask you to let our homes be a safe place, a place where moms and dads are a good witness to their children, a place where children are raised not only in safety for physical and emotional dangers, but also a place where they learn about you. I pray, dear God, that we would stop doing things in our country that make no sense and that we would seek your mind and that we individually and as a country might want to be and do exactly what you have in mind. And I pray that we might be a blessing to the rest of the world. I thank you, Father, for all the beautiful things in our country. I thank you for the rich heritage we have and for the solid biblical foundation on which our country was formed. And I pray all of that might be revived and folks might sincerely get excited about it. I thank you for our church. <clears throat> Lord, there's so many good things going on in our church and you're the author of those things. I thank you for the blessing just in the number of folks and in the music that we have from our choir. 
I thank you, Lord, for those who help lead worship. And I thank you for our Sunday school teachers and what you're doing in our Sunday school ministry. And Lord, there's so many ways that folks in our church reach out and help others and minister. I thank you for the difference that we make here and even in other counties and even in other states. I pray for our missionaries that serve both in this country and around the world. And you've blessed us, Lord, that we have so many that we can support and pray for. We pray for your hand to be on them to give them peace and to give them purpose. You built a strong and loving church. We thank you for that. And we look to the future, Lord, to see what you're going to do with us as the years go by. How you're going to use us, how you're going to continue to build us, that we might be of one mind with you. It's a good work you're doing, Father, and we thank you for it. Thank you for letting us come together today. Thank you for the reason we're here. For his name is Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Our passage this morning comes from Philippians as we continue our study. We're going to look at the second chapter and we're going to look at the first 11 verses. So please open your Bibles to that point. Philippians 2, beginning with verse 1. Before I read the passage and even before I pray, William Hendrickson, who is a Bible commentator, professor, was a professor at a seminary for many years, and a pastor in the Christian Reformed Church, is one of the men I like to read. As he was reading the passage we're going to study this morning, Dr. Hendrickson said, the church at Philippi was a good church, a strong church. And if you read through this letter, you see that Paul talks about what a really good church it was. Of all the churches he started in ancient Greece, probably by far the strongest church. And yet we encounter, Hendrickson suggests, a passage like today, where he looks at the church and obviously he sees in the church, not the majority, but he sees in the church those, Hendrickson says, who are seeking ecclesiastical honor and preferment. Simply what that means is some people filled with themselves. Some people who want to be recognized, they want to be held out as top of the row in whatever they're doing, and and they want other people to notice them. Interesting fact. By far, the majority of people in the Philippian church were not that way. But if there's one or two, they can disrupt the entire body for a whole variety of reasons. So what Paul does, as Hendrickson suggests, 
is he speaks very forthrightly to his church that he loves and that he's so very proud of. Now, I want to add a Barton commentary on Hendrickson. I have a license, by the way. I can do that. (laughs) What you're about to hear isn't isolated just in the church. What this is going to talk about this morning is how we relate to each other. And it's going to talk about us individually. So as it relates to us individually here in the body of Christ, it has exactly the same application when we go out into the world about how we relate to other people and what they see in us and if they're going to be attracted to Jesus through us. Got it? Let's pray together. Father, you know I'm excited about the passage for this morning. And I know, dear God, that you put this on the heart of Paul because you want to speak to us. And because you want to minister to us as a church and to us as individuals as we go out into the world. So my prayer is a simple prayer, Lord. Open up our ears. Touch our hearts. Help us to get the message that you have for us. And let us then be a blessing here and everywhere that we go. So bless the reading and preaching of your word, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me read the passage to you. I'm reading from Philippians, the second chapter, beginning with the first verse, and I'd like you to follow along and listen very carefully because God is about to speak. Therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, unity in spirit, intent, On one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Isn't that a beautiful passage? 
Every time I read that, it brings tears to my eyes to think what Jesus has done for us. Paul starts out by saying, we should all be of one mind. He's complimented the church. He's talked about the virtues of the church in his letter. He still feels that way when he looks at the church. He's proud of his church, and rightly so. And then he says, but I want my church to be of one mind. What's that mean? Whose mind? My mind? The mind of the elders of the church? One or more of you? Romans 3.23 For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Which one of us sinners should set the pace for where we're going? The glory of God is the standard by which we are judged. Jesus himself is the glory of God. There's something about that name, folks. He's God, and he was with us and will be with us again. So how do we get to be of one mind? We get to be of one mind when we seek his mind. When our task is not to say, this is what I think, or this is what we think, but it's when corporately we start to look and say, God, what is it that you have in mind? Where is it we ought to go? Where is the thing you want us to do? And folks, when we do something other than that, more often than not, we do not know what God wants, corporately or individually. I try not to give advertisements. On Fox News this past week, and I want you to know I listen to other news broadcasts also, Bob Beckel, you know that name? Bob Beckel, I'm going to describe him, is one of the most liberal, outspoken men I've ever heard. And I sure don't agree with a lot of what Bob says. But Bob said something this last week that really struck a nerve with me and a lot of other folks. Bob started talking about Cal Thomas. You know who Cal Thomas is? If Bob is here, Cal, who's a committed Christian, is here. They live on two different planets. And you know what Bob said about Cal? He said he's one of my best friends. And then on the Five program on Fox News, they played a clip of Cal Thomas. And Cal Thomas was talking about what's happening in our country. We are not of one mind in this country. We have polarized ourselves And one of the things that Cal Thomas said that really struck a chord with me is he said, you know what we do is we start talking about an issue, any issue. And as we talk about the issue and somebody doesn't agree with us, we slap a label on them and say, well, I've taken care of you. And we no longer think or listen to them when we put them aside and we have dealt with them. 
And Cal Thomas said, Bob Beckles, my friend. And while we don't agree, he's one of my closest friends. Cal Thomas went on to say, you know, when you don't slap a label on somebody and instead you genuinely listen to them, an amazing thing happens. You start to see some endearing qualities even in those that you don't agree with. And you have the capacity to love them and to care for them, which is precisely what Jesus has done for us. Paul says to us and to the Philippians, if there's any encouragement in Christ, meaning if you have received from Jesus things like love and compassion and affection, if these things, this unity in spirit, have come from him, they ought to be present in you and ought to be an encouragement to us, the church, who've been saved by grace, to not just discard other people, but to love them, just as Christ loved us. Well, if that were the prevailing thought in Washington, D.C., things would change in our country, wouldn't they? If that's the prevailing thought in your life, things will change in your life. And if it's the prevailing thought in my life, things will change in my life. And wherever we go, we will find ourselves not just loving the people around us, but being in a position to minister, to be used by Christ. But folks... If we slap a label on each other and we back away from each other, the heart gets hard and we are an embarrassment to Jesus because we are not what he wants us to be. How do we get to be of one mind? We listen to each other. We strive together not to win, not to have my way to be the prevailing way or your way, but we strive to know the mind of God. And when we do that together in one spirit, more often than not, we're going to figure out what God wants. And then there are no losers. They're just winners. You all understand that? If we learn that and can practice it and model it for other people... By the grace of God, it might catch on in our society and make a world of difference in this country. And we might be back on track as a nation understanding what God wants for us. Paul goes on to say that he wants us to be of the same attitude. I was in an airport some years ago when there was a lot of racial tension in the city where I was visiting. When I got to the airport, I started to go through a door and the security person didn't want me to go through that door. So I stopped and I said, where would you like me to go? And the person said, you know, you've got an attitude. Well, I want you to know this southern boy didn't quite know what to do with that. I thought about that a minute, and I thought, well, I don't think I have an attitude, <laughs> at least not a bad one. And I started to say something, and the person said, you really do have a bad attitude. And I decided that 
I'd been learned by mom and daddy at that point just to say bye. And I got away from that person because I couldn't reason with them. What is this attitude he's talking about? Well, I got to thinking about that. And in John, excuse me, Matthew 22 and also Leviticus 19, we're told about that attitude. Jesus said in response to a question, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your mind, and your strength. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. Well, I'm just self-centered enough, and so are you, that we want to take care of this person. So what he's saying is, I want you to take care of that person also. I want you to think about them, and I want you to care about them. And that's the attitude that he wants us to have. Who is the neighbor? Who is he talking about? Sometimes it's convenient for us to shrink the scope of that word and think, well, that just means some people who live right around me or some people that I see every day in my enclosed life. That's not what the Greek word means. What the Greek word means is a much larger, more inclusive group of people. And it grows out of a cultural phenomenon in the Middle East where people didn't live out in the country. It was desert. They didn't live by themselves because there was such a threat of robbers stealing from them or killing them. So people would group themselves together all throughout the Middle East in small villages and in small towns. So when he talks about neighbors, he's talking about an inclusive group of people who may be very different, might even speak different languages, may have different cultural habits, But everybody within that village are your neighbor. And what Jesus is saying and what God is saying is, God wants you to love them just like you love yourself. He wants you to be for them. And then the example is given in the verses where Jesus says, or Paul says, Jesus emptied himself out. He was God. He didn't think of that as something to be grasped or to be held on to. Instead, he opened himself up to becoming like one of us, to walk like us and talk like us, to love like we love, to be hurt like we're hurt, to experience all of the human emotions that we experience. And he willingly emptied himself out and took on the form of a man and came here to live with us and to die for us. And that's the example, I think, that has been put before us, that we're to empty ourselves out. Folks, as long as we're busy filling ourselves, we're not going to ever attain the beautiful model that Jesus has in mind. But when we quit trying to feed ourselves in our own ego and our own position and our own everything, and we reverse that, things change in our life and in our world. He mentions some ways to do that. It's a hard list. He says, got to quit being selfish. 
He says to us, we need to be humble. He says to us, we need to care more about other people and their importance than we do our own. And he says to us, we ought to look out for the interests of other people and not our own interests. Well, when you look at the life of Jesus, isn't that what he did? He embraced all four of those concepts, and he came and he lived and he died. And folks, he didn't do that for himself. He was already God. He was already fully righteous. He already had all of the blessings that God has. So he came and did it for us. When you look at the 8th verse, the 8th verse says, Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And what he's saying to us is if you're going to follow that model, and that's what Paul's calling on us to do, we ought to humble ourselves. Well, that's a decision we make. Don't wait for somebody to humble you. Make the decision that's what God wants for you. He wants you and he wants me to be humble. And then he wants us to be obedient. In the case of Jesus, to the point of death. In your case and my case, he wants us to be obedient to the model that Jesus has created and to the teaching of Scripture. Not to what you think or somebody else thinks, but what the Bible teaches and what Jesus demonstrated. And he says to the Philippians and to us, even death on a cross. Now, why did he add that phrase? He's already said that Jesus died for us. Why does he say on a cross? I want you to know that when you're humble and when you're selfless and when you're looking out for somebody else, you're not always going to get treated right. It's not always going to be okay, except in the eyes of God. And in your inner self, you know when you're pleasing God and when you're not. And when you are pleasing God, there'll be a sense in here of, golly, I'm on the right team. I'm doing what God wants me to do. I'm following in the steps of Jesus. Jesus went to a cross. You know, crosses were, were criminals, were punished. People who had done something really terrible in their culture or people who had turned against the Roman Empire. And they were taken out and nailed on a cross. Can you imagine? And hung on that cross for people to look at and to make comments about and to hang with the physical pain of your own body tugging on those nail holes until finally you suffocate to death because your body can no longer support your lungs. And the weight of your body crushes the air out of you. And our Savior, Jesus, willingly was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You know why he did that? 
out of love. Can you imagine he loved us that much? Every one of us who know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, he loved us individually that much. That he died for you and he died for me. If you haven't come to terms with all of that, you may have heard it before, you may have never heard it before, but I encourage you to struggle with the fact that God loves you and that he's calling you to be one of his children. And if you've not said yes to that, I encourage you to invite Jesus today to be the Lord of your life and to be your Savior. And if you have already done that, for you to say, oh, I've already, by God's grace, accomplished that. So now all I have the task before me is to be selfless, more interested in other people, not filled with pride, not trying to get my own way, but instead trying to do what Jesus wants. Is that enough for you? You understand? we got a pretty monumental task in front of us, but God is on our side. And he wouldn't call us to do something if it wasn't possible. And he's calling us to be more like Jesus. He ends the thought in verses 9 through 11. He says, and I also want you to have the same confession. You know who Jesus is? Oh, he's the son of God. You know who else he is? He's Lord. Curios. He is the Lord. There are no other lords. He's in control. And when a person subjects themselves to him and calls out and says, you really are Lord, something has transpired in here, or they would never say that. So when we make a profession of faith, we accept Jesus as our Savior, and we acknowledge that he is Lord. That's not by accident. It's by saying, I'm going to surrender my will to him. And then I can do the things Paul is calling on me to do. I can live for other people and not myself. I can seek the mind of God and not just be interested in what I want. Then he goes a step further. And he starts talking about the second coming of Jesus. The only major promised prophecy that hadn't yet been realized. Jesus is coming again. And he said, when Jesus comes again, everyone in heaven, archangels, angels, all those believers who've already gone to be with him, they're going to drop to their knees and they're going to call out and say, Jesus is Lord. All those on earth, all of those who are believers and all of those who are not believers are going to drop to our knees and call out and say, Jesus is Lord. 
And I think those who aren't going to have believed are going to say, boy, I got that wrong. But they're going to be on their knees and they're going to acknowledge him as Lord. And then all those who are in hell, those who are archangels, those who are fallen angels, those who were demons, and those who did not believe and died are going to drop to their knees and say, Jesus is Lord. Not a question in any mind of anyone that God or anything that he's ever created. Folks, there's something about that name. He is Savior, and he is Lord. Do you confess Jesus as your Savior and as your Lord? Then let's strive to live like it. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the way you touched Paul and had him speak to a people he loved, a people he appreciated, and a people he wanted to motivate to be more like you want us to be. Dear God, you're a loving God, a God of grace, but a God who holds expectations for us. Please, Father, help us to respond to you in a positive way and let you have your way in our life. For we ask it in the very beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. I sat in my study this week and I thought to myself, you know, if I were not a preacher, I wonder if I'd spend the time in the Word I get to spend. Maybe he's got me as a preacher to get me in his Word. But he's accomplished that. I'm in his Word by God's grace. And what he had for us this morning is so essential. It's so important in your life and in my life. Take it to heart. Be more like Jesus this week. For there is something very special about that name, isn't there? God bless you and God keep you until we meet again. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. <laughs>